This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, September 30th, 2012. Parables, what would you do? In our everyday lives, we encounter countless people on our morning commute, at work, when out of town, or just out for a stroll. These people, Jesus says, are our neighbors. Neighbors, what does that mean? Are these just people that live in our neighborhood, who work with us, who go to church with us, or is it something more? These neighbors, these people God has placed in our lives, are there for us to love, not to judge. But haven't we all prejudged people at one time or another? The person who's wearing a certain kind of clothes, who may have a tattoo or a piercing. Maybe we make a judgment based on what kind of car someone drives, in what kind of house they live. Maybe it's because of where they live because of what we think they believe that causes us to prejudge, to have prejudice against someone or a group. Today we explore what Jesus tells us about our neighbors through a parable, a story, about a person who was left for dead and whose life was touched by the most unlikely person. So a parable, a brief, simple story intended to illustrate a lesson, a principle, a truth. Today and for the next three weeks, we'll be uh, sharing some of the parables of Jesus, stories that he shared to help those that he was talking to gain a better understanding of God and God's kingdom. Well, good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you've made, a day that we rejoice in. God, you've given us a, a very challenging uh, word today, a challenging scripture to deal with. We ask for you to open our hearts, help us set aside anything that happens at 12 o'clock and really lean into uh, to you right now. So we give this time to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of Connection Church said, Amen. Amen. So there's this show on ABC called What Would You Do? Has anybody seen the show, What Would You Do? Okay, a few of you. For, for those who haven't, um, What Would You Do is kind of a hidden camera kind of a show where there's this staged situation using actors where someone is publicly being hurt or humiliated or taken advantage of or robbed or something. And so um, as a TV audience, we get to see what's happening, but we also get to see the reaction of the innocent bystanders, whether they will get involved or not, you know, what they're going to do in reaction to this staged situation, which they don't know is is staged and and thus uh, they're kind of asked question, but we uh, as the uh, lookers in are basically asked the question, what would you do? 
Now, of course, it's easy to say what we would do as long as we're not actually there, when we're actually not in a position of being able to do anything, when we're sitting comfortably in our recliners with a soda and whatever, watching from afar, saying, oh, well, I would when you can't actually, we can't actually do anything at all in that position. Well, the parable of Jesus that we look at today is actually a kind of what-would-you-do situation. It really is. We're told in the 10th chapter of Luke, if you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. And here we find that an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, first of all, when we say an expert in the law... We don't mean a police officer in this case. What, what this refers to is it's somebody who has studied Hebrew law extensively. And we find the Hebrew law in the first five books of the Bible, in the first part of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Five, Penta, five books in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And these five books contain the Hebrew law. Now, this law is a little bit different than the law that we're familiar with because it's not only, you know, about civil and criminal things, but it's religious law, religious law. This law encompassed every aspect of life of the Hebrew people. There was no separation of church and state. In fact, the two were tightly united. Now, the challenge for for many of the religious folk, especially those who were closely associated with the law, like this expert who's talking to Jesus, was that sometimes they held so closely to the letter of the law that they kind of lost touch with the spirit of the law. They were so busy making sure that the law was observed to the very nth degree that the real value of the law sometimes got lost in the shuffle. Many of these people, um, they didn't care a whole lot for Jesus because at times Jesus was more concerned with the spirit than the letter, and and they didn't care for that, uh, sacrificing the letter of the law. example would be like the one time Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth, but Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And according to the law experts, Sabbath, no work was to be done. Healing somebody would be considered work. And Jesus said, come on, get real here. I'm helping this guy out. He didn't see, now he sees, but they didn't see it. Uh, they didn't see it that way. And, and, and like Jesus said, the, the law was created for humankind, not humankind created for the law. And so he often clashed with those who were real letter of the law uh, sticklers. So this is what's happening when we're told that an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He asks Jesus a question, and the plan is for Jesus' answer to be contrary to what they believe. And so this legal expert asks Jesus this, this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, I, that's a good question, wouldn't you say? Good question. Many have wondered. Some have even asked. It's a question that many of us might have asked. What do I need to do? How do I get to heaven? You know, I don't want to be doomed to hell. What, how can I inherit eternal 
life? What must I do? I love it in Scripture when somebody tries to test Jesus like this because um, it's always interesting how he's going to kind of flip it back on them. In this case, uh, he answers the question with another question. He's not playing games with the guy, but he's returning with a question that this guy, as an expert in the law, should be easily able to answer. And that's why Jesus says to him, he says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, the law expert answers with a response that we've read before, we've talked about here at Connection, we've preached about. The response actually comes from the Old Testament in two different places, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. The law expert is simply quoting scripture when he says this. Love the Lord your God. You've heard this. Say the rest with me. With all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourselves. Yeah. Well, Jesus replies by saying, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, trying to find some kind of loophole to justify his own actions, this legal expert responds by saying, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) That's a pretty good question, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, when I'm having a discussion with somebody, I always like to kind of define our terms. I always like to know exactly what do you understand this to mean so I can understand what, so we're on the same wavelength here, so we're we're talking the same language, so to speak. So, like in this case, is, I, is my neighbor the guy who lives on either side of me? Or maybe well, our backyard's back up, we talk across the fence. Is that my neighbor? Is it the guy down the street? Is it anybody in my neighborhood? Thus the name neighbor. Is that why what a neighborhood means? All those are my neighbors and outside are not my neighbors. Or does it include people I go to church with, people I work with, people I go to school with? people I'm in some kind of an association with, some kind of club or whatever, or all those people, who is my neighbor? So Jesus, in response, you know, Jesus never, it's rare that he just gives a simple answer. He answers with a question, or in this case, he answers with a story, oh, a parable, because he's trying to help this guy see a greater truth rather than just a simple answer. So he shares this story. He says this, he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same street, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Well, then Jesus goes on to say, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so Jesus creates this story. And people say, is it a true story? Well, you mean, did it actually happen? I don't know, it could have happened. Is it true? Well, it's very true because it brings out a truthful situation, a situation very likely could have happened, brings out true uh, trueness, so to speak. So Jesus creates this story, and he tells us that there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that's about all he says about him. You know, uh, when we look at Scripture, we always have to say, why is it in there or why isn't? He doesn't go into a lot of detail on this guy, does he? Not a lot of detail. So, so the story from this standpoint is not focused on on the background of this man or his ethnicity or his origin or uh, nationality or his religious beliefs. The man who is taxed simply said is a man, kind of generic there. Um, now, on the other hand, though, we can kind of um, draw from this, though, that this guy probably didn't use real good judgment in this situation. You see, from what we read, this road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho, it drops nearly 3,300 feet over a 17-mile distance. That's a, that's a severe drop there. And it's full of narrow, rocky passages and sudden turns, which offer easy hiding for robbers who would then swoop down and attack travelers. It makes me think, you remember the old westerns where you got the guys up in the rocky hills and they're waiting for the guy to go through the pass and they swoop down? It kind of reminds me of that. To, to travel this road alone probably wasn't the smartest thing to do for this guy. And yet, that is never mentioned as a reason for the people who didn't stop to help. It's not mentioned as a reason why they went on the other side. They, they didn't use and say, well, this guy made a bad choice as their reason for not stopping. Of course, they were alone too when they were walking along the road. So this uh, traveler is stripped, beaten, and left for dead. And so Jesus tells us that three people who happen to be traveling along the road shortly thereafter, he talks about what their reaction is. The first two are church people. I want to say that again. The first two who come upon the man are church people. Yeah. One's a temple priest and one is a Levite. Now the Levite tribe, they supply the rabbis and the teachers to the temple. Well, neither of these men stopped to help when they came upon this uh, hurt person. We're not specifically told why, but in those days, as Alan said, there were robbers along the road, and so maybe they thought this guy was just a decoy, and so they decided to keep on going. Mm. Or maybe, maybe this will ring with some of us here today, maybe they were just running late. They were already 10 minutes behind, maybe, and they had some place to go where they were supposed to be. And for them at that moment, getting where they were trying to get seemed more important than stopping and helping this man who may even have already been dead anyway, lying along the side of the road. So they really didn't know the status of this guy. They didn't know if he was dead or alive. But if he was dead, touching this man, um, they would have been defiled 
uh, by touching a dead guy. It would have disqualified them from serving in the temple. So if that's the case, they had quite a decision to make. Their decision would be this, duty to the temple or duty to the one bleeding in the road. Mm. In any case, both of the people who we would have hoped would have helped, who we would have expected to have helped, people who were part of the church establishment, didn't stop to help. Right? The two that you would think just because of the what they do and who they are, we would hope they would stop, didn't. In fact, they not only passed by, but passed by as far as they could on the other side of the road to get around this man in distress. And so the third man came along, and he not only stopped to help, but he quickly attended to the wounds. He transported them to an inn and took care of them there. And then when he had to leave, he gave the innkeeper money so that the guy could continue to be cared for. And... He said if he needed any more, that he would even up with the innkeeper if there was more cost. Now, Jesus has chosen this particular man in this story very carefully when you consider the listening audience. Here, Jesus is telling a story. It's, a, it's an important truth, and he's telling a story. And he has these two church people coming individually, and what their response is, But this third traveler was a Samaritan. And his audience being Jewish, this guy being Samaritan would have shattered all of their expectations. Absolutely. Because generally speaking, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. They were at odds. The Jews considered the Samaritans ceremonially unclean. And here's why. They were descended from mixed marriages that followed the deportation of many Jews to Assyria uh, back when Assyria took over the northern kingdom of Israel back in like 740 B.C. So we're going back 700 plus years to a time where over a 20-year period they deported uh, uh, Israelites, the Jews, and then as a result they intermarried. So they considered them uh, uh, unclean. And, um, and the Samaritans also, uh, these inter, uh, the result of these intermarriages, the Samaritans, uh, they opposed to the rebuilding of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. In fact, built their own temple. They did it their own way, their own place of worship. And so now they're ceremonially unclean, they're social outcasts, and they're religious heretics from the Jewish standpoint. And so... Um, this Samaritan traveler then is, it couldn't be more opposite in their minds from the priest or the Levite. And yet, here's the tough part of the story, and yet it's the Samaritan who stops and, and does the right thing by helping the guy in distress, whereas the priest and the Levite went on the other side of the road to avoid this situation all together. Well, Jesus finishes this story with a question. In fact, it's basically the same question that the uh, law, the expert in the law asked. Jesus says, 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Well, after hearing Jesus' story, the lawgiver really only had one response. The response was the one who had mercy on him. I mean, he would have looked crazy if he said, oh, the one that you know, left him for dead. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus responds, what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Mm. Bible scholar William Barclay points out three kind of compelling aspects of the parable that Jesus offers to the uh, expert in the law. First, first is that we must be pre- points out that we must be prepared to help others, even when they brought the trouble on themselves. Yeah, you, you ever kind of had somebody who had need, and you thought, well, they don't deserve any help because they were they were dumb. They shouldn't have done that in the first place. They brought that on themselves. Let them let them deal with it. I know sometimes that's a response that we might make. Uh, you know, the guy probably shouldn't have been traveling down that dangerous road, yet the Samaritan didn't let that deter him from helping the guy. The second thing is that anyone from anywhere, no matter what background, what nationality, what religion, what race, anyone and everyone is our neighbor. Everyone is our neighbor. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, of which we're a part of, he had a a line that is uh, pretty well known. The world is my parish. That means everyone is our neighbor, and we need to be concerned about everyone. And third, the help that we offer needs to be practical, not just consist of feeling sorry for somebody. A Samaritan in the story didn't offer the man empty words of encouragement or su- encouragement or suggestions as to what he should do or what he should have done or should not have done. Instead, he gives him actual hands-on help, and when he had to leave, he sees to it that the man continues to get help at his own, at, at, the, at the helper's, the Samaritan's expense. So it's a pretty simple story that Jesus offers here. But the implications for us as followers of Jesus, wow, pretty, pretty intense. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is not just a catchphrase. That's not something that we just throw out when asked what God expects of us, along with Love God with everything you've got. They just aren't words that float into the air. This is how we are expected as men and women of all ages to live our lives out, to care for one another, to really, um, you know, put our feet down and, and live this out. We're even called to live this out when it is regarding people that we don't know, people that we might not care for, people that we might not even like, people who are our enemies. Now, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount uh, the last few weeks, and, and there's this one scripture that I think is really, really convicting. I know for me, and I, I'm guessing some others in this room, it's Matthew 5, verse 44. But I, and these are, this is Jesus saying these words, the words of Jesus. But I say to you, say it with me, love your enemies, 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. When we read that, we realize it's not always easy being a follower of Jesus, is it? It's pretty challenging at times. Uh, especially when he tells us to do things like this. Because that's just, that's hard. It's contrary to uh, what our, our nature is. But the truth is, even those we don't like are our neighbors. And we're told to care for and care about them. Even those who don't care about us. And Why? Because that's what Jesus tells us to do. That's who Jesus calls us to be. Uh, Because that's who Jesus is. You know, remember, even as Jesus hung on the cross, he asked God the Father to forgive those who had put him there. Wow. That's pretty unbelievable. See, he loves you. He loves me, even when we're our most unlovable selves. And as followers of Jesus, he wants us to be as Christ-like as possible, even to the point of loving enemies and loving neighbors as ourselves. And so when there's someone around you who's in trouble, who may need a little bit of help, the question no longer is, Is he my neighbor? Is she my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? We know that answer. It's everybody. The question now is this. What would you do? What would you do when you're faced with a situation? You go on the other side of the road. You, you know, make a point to really walk away. Or are you the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus? We have a pretty tough teaching here in in Luke chapter 10. It's one that we need to take and put in our heart and really try to work that out as we leave this place today. We hope that you'll, you'll take this and lean into it and pray about it and explore yourself, explore your heart. And um, know that God loves each one of us, forgives us for, you know, all that we've done and we need to reach out and care and concern for those, even those who we don't really like. That's the gospel. Let's live it and let's believe it. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you so much for this really, really tough, tough word, especially the Sermon on the Mount scripture in Matthew. Loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, doing good to those who hate us, and praying for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. God, help us put you on, take you in, so that we reflect who you are and whose we are. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that is undeserved. God, you are an awesome God. You're the God of this city. You're the God of this state, of this country. You are the God of the planet, the God of the world. And we thank you and praise you this day and all days. And all of Connection Church said, amen.
Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers. Thank you.